It was a great week for cephalopods. Have you ever been asked, what were you thinking? Have you ever been asked, what were you thinking? Um, if you've asked that of your spouse and you're, you're a male, you should never ask that question. <laughs> just, just, just don't. It doesn't do any good. If you've been asked that question and you are a male, so your wife has asked you that question, um, you should answer, uh, apparently not much. Wasn't thinking. What are you thinking? Okay, so back to the cephalopods. A good week for cephalopods. On, on, on Friday night, I had uh, calamari uh, with a sweet ginger sauce, sweet ginger chili sauce. Actually, the Calamari had to die for me to do that, so maybe you would say that's not a great week. And then did you see that the thing happened in New Zealand? Some guys were out kayaking, and, and a seal surfaces with, with, with an octopus in its mouth and, like, slaps it against the kayak and hits the dude, and it was just, like, crazy because, because if you're a seal and you haven't killed the octopus before you, you, you eat it, bad things can happen. I just thought it was a funny video. And then there was this like news report, right? Okay, out of the Wall Street Journal, uh, two individuals, Gull Dolan uh, from John Hopkins and, 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 and Eric Edsinger from Woods Hole in um, Massachusetts. Okay, what they're doing is they're, they're taking octopi, octopuses, octopods, octopuses, octopods. I'm not sure what plural actually is because there is some dispute about that. At any rate, they're taking octopuses, octopods, octopi, and, and putting them in, a, in, a, in, a, in water that has a mild concentrate of MDMA. Molly, ecstasy, the party drug. Now you would say, what in the world are they doing that for? That's absolutely crazy. Well, actually, it's not that crazy, okay? What they're thinking is that it's easier to experiment on an octopi than it is on a human. And the goal in this collaboration between Johns Hopkins and Woods Hole Marina is to understand, is there a link? Um, and is there an ability to perhaps better treat PTSD in individuals who suffer from it? Do you ever wonder how God thinks? Macaroons. I bet God loves macaroons. Let's do our text today, shall we? 949, verse 8, rather, of chapter 15. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. And sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Part of thinking how God thinks is understanding how God thinks and how God has created and how God continues to give life to his creation. In the basis terms, the easiest terms to understand, there's this economy that God has created And what this economy is based on is this notion of service, 
on servanthood. Now, you might think that makes sense. Most businesses that are successful when they deliver a product, uh, along with the product, uh, they must deliver an appropriate level of customer service. Even though the model can be carried too far, in the general sense, the customer is always right. Now, to be sure, all customers bring joy to most business establishments. Some when they come, some when they leave. (laughs) But the notion of delivering customer service is incredibly important. In fact, some businesses that specialize in customer service becomes the things of anecdotal stories that tellers introduce by saying, you won't believe how they took care of me. And listeners say something along the lines of, you don't find that kind of service every day. The notion of God's economy, the notion of how God thinks, of how God intersects and how God has created is based on this economic reality of service and of servanthood. And while there are similarities to our businesses in our experience, there is also an economic reality that is going on in God's economy that is entirely different It is beyond the scope of the largest multinational, beyond the scope of even the largest GDP, beyond the scope of even the combined realities of those, even in their totality. Likewise, the currency is not in dollars. It's not in pounds or euros or yen. But the currency is in blood. And the currency allows the guilty to go free. It's an economic reality that's based on this notion of service and servanthood. And it's a mindset that does not measure success in terms of a balance sheet or an income statement or a statement of cash flows. See, how God thinks really isn't a mystery. In essence, how we function in life seemingly on our own, seeming those of us who would say, oh, I run a successful business. I don't even give a thought of where that comes from. It derives from God. It derives from the creator who put the terrarium together and created a way, an example for us to follow, whether we acknowledge we're following it or not. And there's some of us in this room who have delivered excellent customer service and continue to do so. There's some of us in the room who are in the business of hospitality. But all of us, regardless of where we work, are in the business of delivering customer service in small and great ways alike. That existence in our life is because God exists first and sets, in essence, the table driving towards this notion of service, of servanthood. Albeit in a much more comprehensive way. And the fact of the matter is, it's it's always been that way. Verses 9 through 12, there's a number of quotations that Paul uses. First from 2 Samuel, which is in combination, 2 Samuel 22, verse 50, with Psalm 1849. That's the first one that you see in verse 9. Then you see in Deuteronomy 32, 42, in verse 10. And then you see Psalm 117, verse 1, in verse 11. And finally, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, in verse 12.
And the way that it's always been has always been a comprehensive way. And the way that it's always been, like I've said, is not a recent addition. It's not a case of God trying something over here, failing, and then, and then coming back and going in a move to a different market or a different group of people. In the broadest sense, from the beginning, the plan has been for all people to hear, for all people to be able to experience, for all people to be able to understand within these verses. It's not only the people who are identified as Jews, but also the people who are identified as Gentiles. And when you think about it from a Jewish point of view, and that's the point of view that Paul has, he was a Jew, tribe of Benji, love that little dog. There are two groups of people in the world, Jews and non-Jews. Just like we might say, there are two kinds of people who live in the world, people who live in North America, and then there are people who live elsewhere. And when you would say that, you would be describing all the people. But keep in mind that the text does not say, it does not say that people who live in North America are the most important. It doesn't say that. And it certainly does not say that I, an American citizen, American passport holder, has a leg up on any other Gentile. I wonder, do you think God ever gets a little bit tired and frustrated with our arrogance? At any rate, God has always been concerned with all of the people of the world. Not just one particular demographic. It's one of those important concepts as we attempt to understand what God thinks. Because God is concerned about all people, it's why I get to be a follower of Jesus. Because as far as you know, I look a a lot like more, (laughs) I look a lot more like a Gentile than a Jew. Although, just to let you in on a little secret, there's a little Semitic blood on my dad's side. So I might be on both sides of the fence. That's just me, maybe not you. We can understand that the plan of God and the way that God thinks is for all peoples, irrespective of the tone of your skin, irrespective of where you live, irrespective of your social economic condition. All peoples, not just Jews, not just non-Jews, all people are invited to be a part of God's economy. But like any good business, Just because you offer good customer service doesn't mean that all people will buy your product. So, gross domestic product. It's the accumulation of a variety of different things. So the GDP is a combination of private consumption at a national level, of private consumption, of gross investment, okay, so investment from the private sector, um, the amount of money that the government spends, okay, so you're adding private consumption, okay, so the things that you consume, okay, so you consume things like, I consume things like, like gasoline and food, we buy jewelry, we might pay rent, these types of things, things that you consume, so private consumption, plus gross investment, okay? So investment is um, um, uh, 
a farmer buying a new tractor. Uh, gross investment would be a uh, factory being built by a business. Gross investment would be when you purchase a home. Okay, so private consumption plus gross investment plus the amount that the government spends. Okay, plus we already know what the government spends, right? Nice, thank you. It's like softball, boom. I once struck out in softball. Not a great athlete. What the government spends. And then the, the, the difference between net exports and net imports. Okay, so exports minus imports. Okay, so you put those four things together and you get the GDP, the gross domestic product. And, and obviously, the higher that number, the better things are. Okay, and so you can go to a, a place called the Statistical Times and you can understand that the United States of America is projected in 2018 to have a gross domestic product of some $20 trillion which puts us at the top of the food chain. Next closest, China, 14 trillion. Next closest, Japan, 5 trillion. Next closest, Germany, 4 trillion. UK, 2.9. France, 2.9. India, 2.8. Italy, 2.1. Brazil, 2.1. Canada, 1.7. And Russia, $1.7 trillion. And it's widely thought that GDP is a reflection of, of how healthy the environment is, okay, in terms of whether or not people can get ahead, whether or not they have enough of the things that they need to be happy in life. The only challenge is, what if you have a gross domestic product that is super, super high, but you're still not happy, so there was an article written a few years ago where it compared an individual who was a high GDP man versus a low GDP man. And the high GDP man, the guy who makes a lot, a lot of money, adds a lot of value to his country's overall GDP, right? High GDP man, great value. Low GDP man, not quite so much. And then the article compares, okay, and says the high GDP man has to drive to work, often through rush hour traffic because he's in a larger area, and, and because he has to get there at a certain time, he leaves earlier and spends a great deal of time on the road and gets stressed out on the road, and then he comes home late at night, and because he hasn't had time during the day to make a meal, they order out or they go out, and they haven't had time to do all of these things, right? And so they pay other people to do them. The low GDP man doesn't mind hanging his clothes on the clothesline, doesn't mind growing his own vegetables in the garden, doesn't mind if he needs a book to check it out of the library rather than buy it in himself. He doesn't mind getting his exercise in the yard and walking around the neighborhood. And the low GDP man doesn't mind going to work walking in wrinkled khakis. So who's more superior? The high GDP man or the low GDP man? And the question just asks the question. Which gets at our question. What are we thinking when we're thinking about life? And what are we pursuing? Now, I'm in no way, shape, or form suggesting that we shouldn't be gainfully employed, that those of us who are gifted at, at producing ideas into realities that provide employment for employees and families and provide economic advantage, 
for a community should somehow not do those things. No, no, no. Use your gifts in proportion to how God has given you those gifts. So do what you're good at. But don't lose sight of what we're doing. Don't lose sight of what we're pursuing. And if we were to ask God, if we were to say, what are you thinking about our pursuit of all of these things? I think in one step he would kind of compliment us and he would say stuff like, you know, I really appreciate your passion. And I really appreciate how you've taken a small thing and made it a big thing and provided economic advantage. But, but I think in the same breath, he'd say, you're a little bit out of whack with your GDP formula. Because the highest value isn't private consumption. It isn't gross investment. It isn't what the government spends. It isn't what you export versus what you import. what God thinks, how things function in God's economy, in this service-servanthood economy that's based on the life of Jesus Christ. The components of God's GDP are not what we spend, not what we save, not what our government does. Bless you. It's in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And in God's service-based economy, there is the articulation of an economic reality that really differentiates itself from anything that has come since this plan was originally conceived. And the accumulation of God's economy is measured in a traditionally, radically different way. And this economy is at face value, not easily quantified. I'll be the first to admit, it's tough to assign a value for love or joy or hope or peace. It's tough to articulate that that the fruit of the Spirit will bring X number of additional revenue dollars into my household. And so I get, I get that it's, it's a bit of a mind twister to fully understand how this can work. But if we want to understand how God works, this is it. And this is the thing to which we are invited to participate. And it's a pretty cool thing. Do we pursue these things? Do we value the things that God values? Do we want to model our lives, a life of customer service based on the life of the ultimate service? 
do we truly care with a global worldview for people who might look different than us, that might talk different than us, that might come from a different economic reality than us? And do we pursue a God whose GDP is hope and joy and peace? Please pray with me. Father, we come to you today. And truly, you have, you have allowed us to exist in an, at an extraordinary time and place. And the benefits that we enjoy are almost beyond description. And so with Paul. In chapter 15, verses 9 through 12, we join with all Gentiles and all Jews and all people and praise your name, sing songs to you, tell stories of faith, and allow ourselves to be challenged by your word. Will you do that for us, Father? Will you allow your spirit to challenge our lives, our thoughts, our attitudes with your word? Work in our hearts. Work in our lives. Work in our communities. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.